you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. the story of Goldilocks and the three bears, right? I like to think about it as the story of Goldilocks and the three porridges. You've got uh, too hot, too cold, and just right. It could also be the story of our feeling about the temperature in this room, right? Uh, I have watched some people fanning, and I have also seen the shawls uh, covering some people. Um, We can also think that way about uh, the style around worship. For some of you, as you think about our worship, you're like, man, this is like the most high church thing I've ever been to. They've got these robes. Uh, Whenever I take it to Hearts to get it dry cleaned, they call it a costume. They don't know what to do with it. Uh, Lily, you pay for like three costumes being cleaned. Um, You know, you're you're like, they have uh, three scripture readings, and we stand, and we sit, and we we come to the Eucharist every week, and uh, if Chad could, he would bring incense in, and he would shake it all about. Uh, And so for some of you, this is really high church, and it's stretching you in ways that you maybe are still wrestling with, right? Some of you might have uh, come from a different tradition where we feel pretty low church. Um, If you you go to many Episcopal churches or Catholic churches, it's much more structured than we are. Um, There are more uh, precision behind some of the signs and symbols of worship, uh, who exactly can wear what thing and who uh, genuflects to what person when. Uh, and so to, to you, this might feel like you've kind of, uh, kind of eased down to kind of casual church, right? And for some of you, it's just right. Uh, you would not want a lot more formality. You would, not, uh, you would not want me to bring the incense thing in. People talk about a fog machine. That's the original <laughs> fog machine, right? Uh, I, I, would, I would love it, but that has been the universally rejected thing that we would do here at Andover, so we're not going to do that. Uh, but uh, we f- I feel like we're just right. So when I'm on Christian Twitter, I mean, it's literally just Twitter, but it's full of a bunch of priests, and uh, I watch what they're talking about, uh, I, I kind of get a sense of where we are. And this week, there was the great controversy amongst liturgical nerds on Twitter. This past Thursday was 40 days from Easter Sunday. Forty days is the amount of time Jesus uh, existed in the midst of the people after his resurrection, and then on the 40th day, he ascends to heaven. And so the liturgical calendar for the most strict observers have uh, the Feast of the Ascension on that Thursday, 40 days after Easter every year. You did not miss an announcement. No, we did not gather here Thursday evening for Ascension worship, much to the chagrin of the more high church liturgical side of Twitter. Uh, how dare you hold that off? We, we need to be there in that moment. They would have had us uh, celebrate a, the great feast of ascension. And then you've got kind of the other low church crowd that was like, huh? Uh, and this is just not even on their radar, the feast of whatever. And so we're going to be right in the middle with the just right porridge of observing the feast of ascension on the uh, next to last Sunday of Easter. Is Ascension Sunday a Sunday that has stuck out to you in the past? Is it one of your favorite Sundays of the year that you just think, I can't wait to go. I cannot wait to hear what Chad has got to say about the Ascension again. (laughs) 
Anybody? It's usually about this point that many priests get tired uh, of kind of that post-Easter stuff, and they'll call in the the curate, the the associate pastor, to come and preach Ascension Sunday, get geared up for Pentecost Sunday, and then they're going to hit vacation time for Trinity Sunday. But Ascension Sunday is a feast for a reason. The Ascension matters. Um, it's, it's got me thinking. I'm in the midst of all these weird rooms right now. We've got a Wednesday night crowd studying Colossians, and, and it's this whole uh, reflection on the nature of Christ and uh, Christ as part of the Godhead that existed before his incarnation. I'm in this church history group on Friday morning where we are studying, uh, we're, we're just kind of crescendoing to the great councils of the church and uh, the questions of the uh, nature of God as three persons with one substance. And, and we just this week got to the Christological definition from the Council of Chalcedon. Uh, yeah. Did, bet you knew about the Apostles' Creed. Did you know there was a Christological definition from the Council of Chalcedon? We as First Church affirm this definition. I had it on the screen and then it felt too nerdy, so I've taken it off the screen. Go home and Google it. The Wikipedia article is accurate. Uh, it's a uh, definition that explains, now, now that they think they have settled the Trinitarian nature of God, we need to have language to discuss the dual nature of Christ. Uh, how is Jesus God and human? They have to make up words because this is such a different thing. We don't have language uh, to describe what is going on in the unity of the divine and the incarnate and the human in Jesus. But it is so important that they do it they sit and they slog out and they come to uh, this, this understanding that Christ is two natures and one substance. There is no division between the divine in Jesus and the human in Jesus. They both matter. Which, of course, has now got me thinking in terms of what does this mean for the gospel? Um, I used to have a pretty narrow definition of the gospel. Jesus died for you. That, that was my uh, set definition. Scott McKnight has argued that it's better to see uh, the gospel as that Jesus' incarnation, life, death, resurrection, and ascension fulfill Israel's story. That, uh, that in that, the rescue plan of God is enacted. And, and we want to leave off the ascension. We want to, uh, to celebrate the resurrection, or we might be uh, a different part of the church who really wants to celebrate uh, the, the crucifixion. And then we love to get the Pentecost and just kind of collapse it all into the birthday of the church and hooray, hooray. But right in the middle is the ascension. So why does it matter for the gospel? Bill's a little worried. I'm getting ready to ask, like, for one of y'all to tell me why this matters. Uh, it, it matters for a number of reasons, uh, but one is it affirms the fullness of who Jesus is. Uh, the earliest Christian heresies are that Jesus, uh, when he raised from the dead, really was just a spirit. Jesus was uh, nothing more than an apparition that you could see and, uh, and experience uh, being around, but that he wasn't embodied which for me makes Doubting Thomas like a hero because he goes and he's looking for the embodied Jesus that other people got to touch. Uh, 
And then Jesus goes to to dwell at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus goes not as the Spirit, but as the unity of two natures and one substance. Jesus doesn't uh, appear as uh, some moral experience of the logos in our head, the, the, uh, the, the elementals that are happening. He appears as a human in the midst of the people he loved and then goes to the right hand of God the Father in the exact same way. So why does this matter? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing came into being that was created outside of the Word. This is John's prologue. This is the beginning of our Gospel of John, which is so vastly different than Matthew and Luke. Uh, Mark doesn't even give us kind of a prologue. Mark's just like, hey, it's ministry time. But Matthew and Luke uh, give us the birth narratives. Uh, They're very uh, historical focused. This is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. John, uh, living in post-Platonistic thought, is wrestling with what is the nature of this second person of the Trinity, and he lands on the Lagos, the Word of God who existed before anything else existed. We can't start with Jesus' incarnation. We have to start with Jesus being present at the very foundations of the earth, that Jesus is not some byproduct of God, that he is God, that God uh, never existed outside the person of, uh, well, outside the second person of the Trinity. We'll say that. Um, And so we have to go back to the very beginning of the story that the fullness of God dwells with humanity in the garden, and clearly that story is to tell us that there is nothing that separates humanity uh, from God in that garden. They're going to walk in the cool of the evening together. They're going to find one another, and they're going to be in life together. But we know how the story changes, right? They eat from the fruit, and they're banished from the garden. Uh, An angel with flaming sword stands to guard the tree of life. And then the rest of the story is about God chasing after humanity and offering ways to draw near to him, but it's always at a distance. Hey, Moses, meet me over here at the mountain. Hey, Abraham, uh, there's these uh, messengers appearing. Hey, Ezekiel, this whole storm cloud thing happening that has four faces and a chariot over a sapphire floor, uh, God appears, but at a distance. And then that rescue plan takes a turn, and Jesus does come The second person in the Trinity, the Lagos who exists at the beginning of creation, takes on flesh in this very mysterious, hard-to-understand way that he is fully divine and fully human and requires us to, to wrestle with. He does this and then spends his entire life showing us what it looks like to be human. Christ is our example of humanity. If, if you're sitting and wondering what it looks like to be human and what, what maybe our life should be like, we look to Christ. What would Jesus do? Got a little corny on the bracelets for a while, but it's, it's an appropriate reflection that Christ shows us what it means to be human all the way to the point of death on behalf of us. But thanks be to God, death didn't have the final answer. The, the Spirit of God raised Christ from the dead and then he gets touched He's embodied with friends. 
He spends those 40 days, getting us to last Thursday, uh, and then ascends to the heights. Leo the Great, uh, he's kind of one of the first true uh, popes of the Catholic Church. Uh, Some of his most famous works are his sermons on the ascension. You know, uh, this is pretty cool, when a pope has multiple sermons on this thing that most of us just don't even think about as part of the Christian year. Uh, He he has become famous for these sermons, and at one point I had about this long of a quote that I was going to share with you, but I've cut it down. Um, But I do believe we have it for the screen. It was, uh, he's been preaching the sermon, and he has taught them about the time between the resurrection and the ascension, this, this tension that they are so glad to see Jesus, but that they also know what is coming. Jesus has said, I've got to go so that the one who is coming after me can come. Be prepared to wait. And, and then Leo says, it was certainly a great and indescribable source of joy when in the sight of the heavenly multitudes, the nature of our human race ascended over the dignity of all heavenly creatures, It passed the angelic orders and was raised beyond the heights of the archangels. In its ascension, our human race did not stop at any other height until the same nature was perceived at the seat of the eternal Father. Our human nature, united with the divinity of the Son, was on the throne of glory. The ascension of Christ is our elevation. Hope for the body is also invited where the glory of the head preceded us. Let us exult, dearly beloved, with worthy joy, and be glad with a holy thanksgiving. Today we are not established as, a, as a possessors of paradise, but we have even penetrated the heights of the heavens in Christ. The indescribable grace of Christ, which we lost through the ill will of the devil, prepared us more fully for that glory. Incorporated with himself, the Son of God placed those whom the violent enemy threw down from the happiness of our first dwelling at the right hand of the Father. The Son of God lives and reigns with God the Father Almighty and with the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. And then Pope Leo the Great sits down. The the climactic moment of this great sermon is the climactic moment of Christ's life, that he takes humanity to the right hand of God the Father. If, If heaven... It's the dwelling place of God, and earth is the dwelling place of humanity. Uh, That begins to get thinned out a little bit as Christ takes our humanity above the angels and archangels to to the right hand of God the Father, where we are now even closer. Christ came and ministered to a select people in a select place, but through his ascension, he brings humanity to heaven and makes room for the Spirit to come and pour out on all of us. We get no Pentecost without the ascension. And we don't get the hope of the resurrection without Christ's resurrection and ascension and body. Friends, our hope is not for some uh, nondescript, soul-filled future. Our hope is for our resurrection from the dead where we are fully embodied creatures as Christ was fully embodied when he ascended to heaven. Uh, We get told he's coming back in that form and that heaven is coming to earth. And it it means that uh, we aren't... Uh, soulless automatons, we are embodied creatures who matter in our fleshiness. Christ uh, showed us what it means to sanctify the flesh when he ascends to the right hand of God the Father and reigns as the Son of Man at the right hand of the Ancient of Days. This fulfills the promises of Daniel 7. It fulfills Jesus' promise, and it tells us that, quite frankly, theology matters. If you hear somebody say that we're going to start denying the resurrection and we're going to stop thinking about Jesus as a, uh, a God and man together, they are wrong. These things matter, and we will defend them. Christ rose 
from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God and will return and make things new when we are embodied right beside him. Do I have all the answers for how this is going to look like? I really don't. Uh, this is where all my little fun groups, we get into this answer mystery, and, and, and it's just an answer. It's what I've got to give you. Can I explain exactly what age we're going to be at the resurrection? Can I, can I figure out which level of our ailments we're going to have at the, at the resurrection? I can't give you these answers, but Christ said our bodies matter, and that when he comes again in body, we will raise up in body. Amen? The ascension matters because it's part of the gospel. We can't skip it, and we can't leave it behind. Pray that the Holy Spirit meets you in your body. I pray that God's grace is lavished upon you, that, that, uh, that this strange blend of body and soul that we are is sanctified through and through. I pray that you, that you grow in the love of God, neighbor, such that you are made perfect. I pray that as embodied people of God, the world might be transformed through our very selves. Amen? Would you pray with me? Jesus, it is a mystery how you have ascended and sit at the right hand of the God the Father. We have no answers for where or how, but we know the why. Lord, thank you for bringing humanity uh, to the heights of glory and promising us good hope within you. Would you lavish us with your grace in these very moments, Lord, that as we come to the table and encounter your body and your blood and the bread and the cup, uh, that we might be filled full of your grace and sent forth in your glory to bear witness to your love. Lord, sanctify us. Make us perfect in love. Help us love you more fully and love our neighbor more fully. Lord, help us bear witness to your gospel. We pray all this in the name of the uh, risen and ascended Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.